0: Bell Fanboy, episode 23. side of me a secret i've kept locked away no one can ever see wounds so deep they never show they never go away like moving pictures in my head for years and years they've played ah chester fuck man just like a couple months ago when chris cornell left us uh Chester Bennington Died He killed himself Earlier today And uh, ah, It just hits close man Uh, I loved Linkin Park Uh, When they first came out I was about 16 years old or so When Hybrid Theory came out And uh, Just that band Especially those first two albums Hybrid Theory and Meteora they really spoke to me, and they really were. They opened me up to a whole new sort of world of, of uh, new rock and new bands in general. Up until that point, a lot of what I listened to was, like, classic stuff. I was Aerosmith. I was uh, Led Zeppelin. I was The Doors. I was Black Sabbath, Ozzy Osbourne, all that sort of stuff. I grew up on old stuff, and Linkin Park... Was really one of like the newer bands that I got into at the time, and through them, I kind of went down into a rabbit hole and discovered all you know, a whole bunch of new bands. And suddenly, I retroactively went back to the early '90s and started checking out the alternative scene. And you know, Lincoln Park was a was a gateway for me. And Chester's voice was so powerful and so, uh, to me, you know, very unique and the way it worked with Mike Shinoda's rhymes and the whole you know the the combination of the melodic singing and then the screaming of Chester with the uh, the prose of Shinoda and the rap you know and the the hard metal rock riffs and you know that that I just Linkin Park just for me was fucking phenomenal um And in general, I I always felt his lyrics uh, spoke about very deep things that, for me, were very fascinating. Uh, You know, while pop music is always filled with these empty sentiments about love and sex and yearning and I'm lonely and everything is sort of just uh, superficial. You know, Linkin Park's lyrics always struck me as profoundly poetic and thought provoking. And uh, you could tell they came from a from a place of pain and a place of hurt. And today, in the reports about his suicide, um, you know, it came out that you know he'd thought of committing suicide earlier in his life, and uh, he'd been abused by an older male when he was just a, a child, and the toll that that took on him, and how it sort of shaped uh, the person he would become. And, uh, you know, it just, fuck, I can't believe Chester Bennington ended it all today. You know, life is fucking, it's dark, man. It's really dark. I I don't want to depress everyone right here at the start. I don't, uh, this is not going to be a depressing show today, but I'm just dealing with I can't believe that this happened. Uh, my jaw literally hit the floor and I got very pale when I got the alert on my phone about uh, this latest suicide of someone I really, really cared for. And for me, it just sort of hit home because I've just, you know, every once in a while, I, I go off into that dark place. And I think about how, you know, unless, unless you're very fortunate... Life can be pretty damn dark and shitty. And if you're listening to this, I hope that you are nurturing yourself, that you're going after the things you love, that you're being kind to those who love you in your life and really honoring and really taking advantage and appreciating all of the wonderful opportunities available to you. And if you need help I hope you're reaching out for help. I hope you're not trying to deal with all this shit alone. Because alone is where we bump into trouble. Uh, When I'm by myself and I have hours and hours to just think, it's very easy for me to go to these places where I'm endlessly pessimistic and wondering what the fuck's it all for. Um, But then I think of my wife. And I think of my kids, and I think of my family, and my friends. I think about the gifts that I have, and the things I want to share with the world, and the things I want to share with my loved ones. And I find my purpose, but it's not always clear what our purpose is, right? I feel like so so, so often we we try to figure out what is the meaning of life, and it's not always clear what the hell it is we're supposed to be doing here. And, you know, for a long time, people uh, were religious and people would go, with, you know, either mythology or organized religion, and that would be how they found their purpose. And, you know, we're, be, we're moving more and more into an age of sort of, uh, I guess, cynicism, you know, uh, more and more people are identifying as agnostic and and atheist, um, non-believers, and that's what I am, by the way. Um, But I wonder if one of the negative ramifications of the fact that we're moving past this idea of faith and religion, uh, which I do think, you know, ultimately it's good if we finally just rid ourselves of that sort of stuff, but I wonder if one of the negative ramifications is it's almost stripping our lives of purpose. I don't know. This is getting a little deep. I, I'm I, I have nothing scripted. I have nothing planned to say to you guys just yet. We're gonna get into all the usual fun stuff in a second, but I'm just sort of going off the off the top of my brain here, cause uh, you know Bennington suicide is just sort of messing with me. And it just, uh, I just, you know, I, I hope you're all taking care of yourselves out there. And if you're in a dark place, just know you're not alone. Even those of us who are doing pretty well go there sometimes. And if you ever need anyone to speak to, uh, you know, tweet me, uh, Facebook message me. I'm happy to speak to you. I'm happy to offer any, love and guidance and support that i have in me because um i i I know the darkness the darkness is always just kind of there in the distance just under the surface really and for some of us we have more uh, access to it than others some of us really push it down and deny it then it comes out and manifests itself in ways that are really dark and awful and other ones of us just cry every few days and let it out and deal with it and vent and talk. And, you know, everyone has different ways of handling it. Um, but if anyone listening to this, if you're ever in that dark hole, uh, I'm here for you. And I'd love to hear from you. And we can talk Um and this all does tie in to the general thesis of this podcast. I don't want you to think that this whole thing has come off the rails. You know, one of the reasons that I'm so passionate about entertainment and about superheroes and all this stuff that we that we all enjoy so much is because of the beautiful escape that it is. And maybe that's why I'm so particular about the way that my heroes are portrayed on screen and with the kinds of stories that that I spark to because i deal with enough of my own uh, internal parademons on a daily basis when i go to a, when i go to the movies it's to escape it's to to go on a journey and 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 be able to think about something else And if you're going to take something as pure as, say, uh, Superman or Wonder Woman or Spider-Man or any of these heroes that are more of the optimistic symbol of light type of characters, and you're going to try to, you know, deconstruct them and turn them into something negative and angsty, uh, fuck you. I have enough of that. You know, save that stuff for characters like Logan, uh, or Batman that require the darker tones. There are certain heroes that, that people just need as a symbol of light and something that inspires them and, and speaks to them in some sort of way, whether it's rational or not. Um, don't fuck with my heroes. But, you know, I, I've mentioned this before. I mentioned it on the podcast, uh, I don't know, maybe 10, 15 episodes ago when, when the news about the Matrix broke Uh, We were talking about how we're already in the matrix, you know, that in a way we all sort of numb ourselves. In a way we're just sort of, you know, we have our jobs and we have our purposes and we're always sort of plugged into something. We're plugged into our smartphones. We're plugged into our computers. We have to fill every quiet moment with some form of entertainment because if we don't, then our mind wanders off into places that are perhaps not so great for us. But while it's great to have all this entertainment, uh, sometimes I feel like we're learning how to be people. We're, we're forgetting how to be people. We're forgetting how to just socialize and interact and, and have a difference of opinion. We're becoming more and more isolated and, and, and partisan because of all of this technology. And because of all this entertainment, all of these echo chambers that we attach ourselves to, so that we never hear an opposing opinion, we never see something that we don't want to see. Uh, and if anything comes in that interferes with our little you know loop that we're on, you know, fuck that thing. We get angry and and um, you know, while that paints. Uh, entertainment and everything that we love here in a sort of negative light. Uh, I, I don't mean to put it that way. You know, I, I think it's beautiful that we have these things that help distract us. I think the key is to not do it in excess. I think every once in a while you have to be just alone with your thoughts. You got to put the phone down, you got to walk away from the computer. And just be able to just sit and think and brainstorm and analyze where you're at and, and where your life is and what direction you're heading in. And is it what you want? Is it what someone else wants? Are you taking care of you? That shit's very important. You know, uh, right now I've sort of made a decision, um, First of all, I want to congratulate my beautiful wife, my beautiful and talented wife. She was cast in a show. Uh, She's doing a local production of Cabaret. And I'm very, very proud of her. I, I knew that she'd get this, and she deserves this, and it's her favorite show ever. And she's taking care of herself. She has her passion, she has her dream. And right now, while she's off on her summer break, she's a school teacher, she's gonna use the rest of her summer break to try to give her all into this show. The rehearsals begin next week. And she's taking care of herself. And that sort of for me was like a wake-up call. Like, I'm I'm the kind of person who always puts others ahead of me. And, you know, when I first started this podcast the day after getting fired from LRM. Uh, I promised you guys that this was going to be the year that I tried to make a name for myself, to use these gifts that I have, to use this voice that I have, to transition from being someone who comments on things to becoming someone that people comment about. And my wife getting this gig and me realizing that I'm going to have a lot of free time on my hands while she's rehearsing you know, four or five nights a week. Uh, like it made me realize, like, you know what? I've, I haven't been taking advantage of the, uh, the, the time available to me and really investing in me. I've been investing in everything else. I've been investing in my kids, in my wife, in my friends, in the podcast and other little fleeting things. But in terms of myself, the artist, I haven't really given myself much of a chance to really sort of spread my wings and, and, and create. I want to create, God damn it. So I've made a decision that starting next week, when my wife begins her very, very arduous rehearsal process, I'm going to give myself a night every week where I write, where I workshop, uh, a script where i build something from scratch and maybe i'll share the the progress reports with you maybe i'll keep it to myself until it's done and then let you know what it is but it's time for me to nurture the fire inside me because i always forget about me and it's time for me to take care of myself just like uh, my muse is just like my wife is Uh, she's taking care of her, I got to take care of me. And in a way, all of this is connected. I don't know if you see the through line or not. Um, I don't know if this thing has been totally off-putting, these 16 minutes that I've been sort of rambling on and on. I just sort of wanted to share with you where I'm at, uh, how Chester's suicide has affected me, and sort of uh, the double-edged sword, the 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 danger, and the beauty of this entertainment world that we are all so excited about. Um, but all right, I guess. Uh, I guess it's finally time to, to start this off the right way in case this is your first episode, which if it is, I'm so sorry if it is. This is not how I typically start. I'm not usually a Debbie Downer. Um, this is Mario Francisco Robles, MFR, here with you, and this is the 23rd edition of the El Fanboy podcast. I'm coming to you here from El Fanboy Central. Um and I'm recording this on Thursday night instead of on Friday. I know I promised you guys a fanboy Friday edition, but a rather cool idea uh came up for me for tomorrow, so I'm going to pursue that idea. So I'm recording for you on Thursday. Uh for those of you who are new to the podcast, um I typically uh, release an episode every Tuesday. But I've kind of had to tweak that a couple times this summer. Uh, and I should announce right now another further tweak. So you're getting this episode on Friday. And guess what? I'm going to give you guys a reach around. Uh, I'm going to give you guys, I, I should say, a wraparound, El Fanboy. Because what, we're, what I'm going to do is you're going to have this Friday edition. And then I'm also going to give you one on Monday. That's right. I'm going to record one on Monday for you, so basically, before your weekend and after your weekend, you are going to have a fresh Elf Fanboy experience, so uh, be sure to subscribe and uh, like and rate and share, because um, I've got a lot to say, and there's going to be a lot to talk about. we got San Diego Comic Con coming up this weekend, so... Today, we're going to talk about some of the stuff heading into it. And then on Monday, we're going to talk about some of the things that happened after it. All right. But all right. Without further ado, let's get into the news. I'm going to be starting off the news segment today right off the bat with a little bochinche. That's right, bochinche. For those of you unfamiliar with the phrase, that is the Spanish slang term for gossip, for rumors for sort of word on the street. And I got some exclusive bochinché from Mr. Kelvin Chavez himself. For those of you who don't know Kelvin Chavez, fucking shame on you. Not only is he the editor-in-chief of the Splash Report, but he's also the founder of Latino Review and one of the original Apex Scoop Predators in the motherfucking game. So a couple of weeks ago, it dawned on me that the big question is, or should be, Who the fuck is writing the Batman? Earlier this year, we heard all kinds of reports about the script that Ben Affleck was working on. As you guys know, he was going to write and direct the Batman, and then we know that he was working on a script last year, and earlier this year, we heard that he was writing it with Jeff Johns, the big DC Comics guru that he is, and the now- DC co-president and chief creative officer. And then we heard that not only was he working on it with Jeff Johns, but that Chris Terrio, the man who wrote Argo, the man who came in and did the final punch up of the Batman V Superman Dawn of Justice script had actually come in and done a draft of the script as well. He had taken a pass at the F- at the Affleck Johns script And then after the splash report exclusively broke the story that Matt Reeves was going to basically take full control of the Batman and not just come on and direct, but rather push the whole thing in a new creative direction. Um, Since then we found out that the Affleck script had basically been tossed and that Reeves was going to create a new script and, um, What's interesting is we never found out who's writing the damn thing. All we have is the sort of clue or the the insight that he wants to make it sort of a noir-driven detective story. But we've never heard who the hell's writing it. And that's the thing. Matt Reeves is not really known for being a writer. Yes, he's co-written some stuff. He's written, I, th- I think he wrote the, uh, the remake of Let Me In. I'm not sure. Don't hold me to that. But the point is, he's not known as a writer. So the big, you know, for me, I've been wondering who the fuck is writing it. Who is so good, or rather, who does Warner Brothers or Matt Reeves have so much faith in that they can say, yeah, we got this script by Oscar winner Ben Affleck that was rewritten by Oscar uh, nominated, possibly winner also, Chris Terrio, but we're going to throw that out and start from scratch. Who, who's going to step in for them and write what's going to be the brand new solo Batman. Uh, Today, go to the splash report to find out who it is we believe is writing it. And I'm pretty excited about this because I told Kelvin, I sort of sicked him on this. Uh, since I know that he's the one with all the birds and, uh, in all the different kingdoms who come back and give him the bochinche, I said, Kelvin, go and do work your magic. Go out there, find out who is writing the Batman, and I'm pretty sure that Homie delivered. I, I, I don't want to say who it is. I'd rather you go to the website and see for yourself. I'm sure this story is going to get picked up now, we might even get confirmation of it tomorrow or later today, uh, thanks to San Diego Comic-Con and all the things that, that DC may or may not be ready to unveil. But um, all right, so that was my little bit of bochinche. I think we know who's writing the damn thing, finally. And uh, unfortunately, I'm going to make you actually have to go do some reading and go to the splashreport.com and find out for yourself. But right now, I got something very special to get to. Very, very special indeed.
1: Hello, John. It's me, John. Could
0: so right now, it is it, I'm I'm pretty excited about this because I'm literally going to meet this man, uh, at least with with voice is at least. Right now, for the first time, in front of you all, or rather inside of your ears, inside of wherever it is that sound is sort of taken in, that's where I'm meeting John for the first time, because his name is Unboxing John. He's basically become like a pretty damn good friend of mine for several months now. Uh, Somewhere along the way, I gave him my phone number, because he would publish guest columns on Latino Review. And now every once in a while, I'm treated to the wonderful surprise of getting texts from Mr. Unboxing John. And we tend to have these very passionate, very interesting conversations and we tend to basically see eye to eye on so many things. So I feel like I feel like I'm about to meet a best friend that I've never met before. God,
1: that was way too much.
0: But right now, ladies and gents, here is Mr. Unboxing John.
1: Man, what an introduction! <laughs>
0: Listen, I'm uh, flying off the seat of my pants here, so I hope
1: man, you dug that. You're gonna, you're gonna be really disappointed when you find out that I'm just some figment of your imagination.
0: Oh, damn it! So is there just is, is there is there just gonna be dead air whenever you speak? Well, like, as far Absolutely. as the audience hears,
1: I think it's you just doing the like a hey, uh, hey guys, how's it going? <laughs> oh, it's going. Did <laughs> uh, 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 you send
0: me? I'm picturing Spider Man Homecoming's uh, interrogation voice. Wait a minute, have you
1: not seen that yet? I haven't seen it yet. I've, I've I I got too many kids. You got too many. Uh, I, many I'm kids? tomorrow. I've got the promise. We will go see Spider Man Homecoming tomorrow night.
0: See so you because you you have like a million things going on. You are like an epic vlogger unboxing John, and I, you also like work, and I think you go to like school, and you're you're like you, you, you're doing a million things all the time, aren't you?
1: Uh, Yes, I confess. Uh, I I punish myself. As a way to try to improve myself, I make sure that I can't live my life now. Except somehow I find time to appear on podcasts.
0: Yeah. And and speaking of which, you say you can't live your life now, but that's why you make vlogs to your future self. Isn't that true?
1: Yeah, I I do. I do. uh, I I do fib a little bit on that. I, I am living my life. That's one of the things that I really like about the vlog not to start preaching but it's all about living life you know now because uh now is still good even though it's a a ton of work
0: yeah it's it's tell me about it it's a lot of work and we're both works in progress T- tell uh, tell my listeners a little bit about what you
1: do and with your vlogs okay okay and if you've never heard of a vlog uh folks um There's about a million things that are called vlogs, but this one is kind of pinned down to daily vlogging, even though I don't do it on the daily, (laughs) um, basically a life journal style. But, but I, I I didn't, when I saw the life journal style, it's like people just talking to a camera and like, Hey, Hey guys, every single one of these videos starts with, Hey guys, (laughs) Hey, my group of fans. But I didn't like that. I wanted to talk to somebody and I thought, well, who do I talk to that I know is interested in the things that I talk about. And so (laughs) me, yeah. I I singled it down to the one. And and if I'm not interested in talking about it, well, I'm not going to talk about it. So it's my, my current self speaking to my future self about what's going on right now. And, uh, it's, it's been pretty interesting. There's been some highs on there. There's been some, there's been some lows on there. It's gotten serious. It's gotten funny. It's, uh, it's kind of all over the place. And let me tell you, it's a great way to end a conversation if a person's not ready to talk about it. You do, you do what on YouTube?
0: <laughs> well, you know, I, I got to tell you, it, it's sort of inspirational in a way how all over the place it is. Like you should hear what came on this episode before I introduced you. Uh, when you listen to how I started this, you're going to be aghast. But in a way, yeah, like this episode was sort of inspired by that concept of like, just being able to explore things that aren't necessarily happy, joyful topics. I kind of went to a dark place, darker than usual. So, uh, you know, seeing that you were able to go there and just sort of having that flexibility, you know what, like, this is my show, and I don't have to be stuck to a particular format. This is, you know, this is me looking at life through, through my own filter, through my own experience, strength, and hope. And sometimes I'm happy, sometimes I'm miserable, and sometimes it's kind of okay to go there on my own show. So I'm glad that you do that, and you kind of opened the door for me to do that today.
1: Yeah, awesome. That's a very high compliment. That, I take that. That's pretty cool stuff. Right
0: yeah. There. Yeah. So now I feel like one of the things that we tend to text a lot back and forth about are things related to D.C. Now, a few minutes ago, before I introduce you, I dropped a little bit of uh, of uh, some bochinche, a little rumor stuff that I'm going to catch you up on now that you're on here with me. Which is hmm. we think, we at the Splash Report, believe that we know who's writing the Batman. Now, I, I'm not going to say it here on the air because I want people to go read Kelvin's report. But I think we know who it's going to be. And that's why I kind of want to talk about Batman topics with you. So is it is it right if we talk about Batman?
1: Oh, please. I, I haven't watched the latest one. What's, I'm just joking. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Batman all day long.
0: Yes. All right. Good. Now, earlier today, we happened to be speaking about what would be the ideal Batman film for you or I. And you had an interesting sort of take on it. So right now, I want you to sort of pitch for me or pitch for the listeners what for you would be the ideal Batman movie. You ready, John?
1: Sure. Yes. Absolutely. Right. I'll tell you what I, what would get me in the seats. Let's you know it. how Nolan does these ten-minute previews of the beginnings of his movies. This is this is what I fig- figure for the ten-minute preview. First of all, uh, Bruce May- Bruce Wayne is a young man. He's not. Uh, he's not in his fifties. He's not in his sixties. I don't think. I don't know how old Ben Affleck is, but they're they're playing him grizzled and older. Yeah. I like I like the idea of the young. Uh, you know, he's he's a playboy in the. Uh, he, he's more like tony stark but he's he's also the kind of guy that tony stark would probably kind of poke fun at if they uh, ran into each other at one of these galas or something. He's a little <laughs> bit more serious. he's still respected but uh he he's not the drunk that uh that christian bale was. I'm I'm picturing somebody a little bit closer to an older casting decision I saw and I keep bringing this up army hammer.
0: Okay. Okay. I,
1: I, I like the idea of Bruce Wayne being somebody that is not necessarily that intimidating in the room. Uh, you know, he's he's got the nice blonde hair, the three-piece suit. Um, you could see why somebody would underest- this, underestimate this man in a physical setting. And uh, people, uh, you know, he's rich and all this. Okay, so movie's actually starting. Let's, let's actually talk about what's going to be in this movie. So yes. we've got Darkness Night to uh, steal from Will Arnett <laughs> there. Um, okay, you got Batman... On, uh, on top of a roof or wherever we got to go to get this shot of him and the moon. I know it's cliche, but it's Batman, you know? Uh, he's, he's watching over the city and, and, and you know, whatever we got to do to kind of sell this moment to get this, this feel of darkness and this, and then comes on this shot of him from behind and you see the moon and then, bam, smash cut to him in a ballroom. We go from, like, the bright light of the moon to, like, the orange light of a, of a Wayne Foundation gala, and it's uh, it's the same silhouette minus the ears. You mm. get what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. and uh, kind of a rising shot on the ballroom here. And he's uh, he's given a monologue. Uh, it's you know I was I I was born in this city. I was raised in this city. Uh, I I feel like I am this city. I feel like and you know he says some things that so doesn't sound like. So is this
0: voiceover? Is him or is this him speaking to someone?
1: It, it starts as voiceover, but it okay. goes to him speaking. Uh, it's him speaking to this crowd, uh, mm. and he's you know, even though even though my parents were taken from me in this city, uh, my roots go deep. Uh, I, I I am Gotham. That that, that kind of feel. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So, uh, so I, I like hitting about, the that,
0: ground running here, not going into the retread of the origin story. Go on. Well, there'll
1: be a little flash of that here yeah. in a second. Uh because because we got this shorthand that we'll talk about in a second. But uh oh, oh, oh where was it was <laughs> sorry, I cut you off. It's okay. It's okay. This is hey, this is a two way conversation. Yeah. So anyways, he's talking about the uh the Arkham Center for Wellness and uh and and mental rehabilitation or something to that effect. He talks about the, the areas of the city. The Monarch Theater where my parents were were struck down is now gentrified and has become a, a place where it's safe to walk. But all that has done is shifted crime to different areas of the city. It's time for the city to heal. Explosion in the back of the ballroom. Mm. Jim Gordon gets uh, knocked to the back of the head on uh, Bruce Wayne. Not quite sure where it happens. He hits the ground. Boom. Boom. Uh, as 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 the lights are fading on him to black, we see pearls fall somewhere in it. He sees the pearls, you know. You know where his mind's yeah, at.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay.
1: And uh, complete black. So uh, we start to hear this sound, this ringing. And the lights aren't coming back on. And finally, you hear this. Purr! He's woken up. Still black. He's... Uh, He's hearing this like staticky thing. Are you all right, sir? You know we're not quite. And it's catching Chris it.
0: Pine saying, "I love you." No, no, no I'm
1: sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's uh, it's Haley Atwell <laughs> saying, oh, there's another option, Steve." No. Um, so it's 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 Alfred, or you know, and he's trying to. I'm in a box somewhere. I can't I can't move my arms more than a few inches to either side. I need out of here and. So we've, we've, it's, it's obviously he's trying to communicate with Alfred and all that. It cuts out on him, goes to a uh, flashback of him in training. Now, the image I had in my mind here is Kill Bill style, mm-hmm. uh, trying to learn the four-inch punch. Gotcha. Uh, if it's four-inch, whatever the distance here we're talking about, you know, the. Well, the Bruce Lee, Lee was punch the
0: one-inch punch, but, you know.
1: One. Inch, there we go. One, you know, it's right. It's all he needs. It's all in how you handle it. <laughs> um so finally, he goes back to Bruce, he's about to do the punch, the box opens, and uh, you hear this somber voice, I don't think that will be necessary, Bruce. And he gets, uh, he's, he's starting, he's, he's bewildered, he's confused, and he starts to say this, you've done so much to help this city, I think it's time that this city helped you. So many people here at the asylum have told me all about you and the pain that you've gone through. And the and, and uh, basically, blah, 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 yada, 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 uh, zoom out. Are you telling me Bruce Wayne is, is in Arkham? Like as a he, patient? He's, he's in Arkham. He's in the cowl, which is a surprise to him as he's coming to. And Hugo Strain says... Welcome to Arkham Asylum.
0: (laughs) Oh, wow. I did not see that coming. Okay, go on.
1: (laughs) No, that's my 10 minutes. Oh, that's your 10
0: minutes. That's it. You know, that's a hell of a way to start. That is a hell of a way to start. Now, let me ask you are you thinking about this in terms of fitting it into the current DCEU continuity? Like, in other words, this would be like a prequel where we hire Army Hammer. To essentially play the younger version of the Bruce we met in Batman v Superman, or is this like for a complete and total reboot?
1: I think I think we we leave it on its own until we have to have him elsewhere. No, well, I don't know. I don't know uh, how much how much of our text we want to review here, but you, we, we were talking about the the fact that Ben Affleck does not seem overly attached Enthusiastic. to what he's
0: doing. Yeah. <laughs>
1: And, uh, and a trilogy of Batman movies, if they go as planned, which, you know, things get delayed here. Um, that's a long time for, uh, for an older man. Well, the thing he is, he doesn't want to be making these moves.
0: Yeah, I mentioned just about a week ago, actually, that you know, th- th- there's one of two ways they can go with this, and they're going to have to figure this out pretty fucking quick. You know, one way is Matt Reeves gets somehow gets Ben Affleck to agree to do this trilogy, which I think there's a snowball chance in hell of that happening. So you either recast uh, current Bruce Wayne, and you just kind of act like, yeah, there's just another actor playing this Bruce. Or you do a prequel trilogy. You you do something that basically shows us the Bruce that we eventually met. And that way you can have Ben Affleck come in as like, you know, like a cameo later on in future DC movies. But for all intents and purposes, you get a younger guy to play Bruce Wayne Batman in these trilogy movies. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think...
1: Go ahead. Because you you can't do like they did in Iron Man 2 where where they say, where's Rhodey? And then Don Cheadle comes in and says, yes, I am Rhodey. Put a sticker on me right here. It says, hello, my name is Rhodey. Yeah. You I, can't do that.
0: I, I don't think you can. I don't think you, I feel like, you know. yes, there was a precedent established in the Batman series where we went from Michael Keaton to Val Kilmer to George Clooney. But I feel like those days are done. I feel like it's easier now rather than just say, here's this new actor playing this, the very same Bruce Wayne and deal with it. I think it would be easier and a more palatable transition if Matt Reeves basically goes and says that this story is set 15, 20 years before what we've seen so far and basically this Batman is going to grow into that Bruce Wayne one day and that way, you know, it alleviates what Affleck will have to do later on since he doesn't seem to really want to be attached to these anymore and that way you get to introduce a newer, younger Batman. Uh, Mm -hmm. And and the only thing there that would have to get swapped out is that, you know, Army Hammer would probably have to dye his hair, uh, you know, something darker so that he looks more like Ben Affleck in a way, because it would be the same Bruce Wayne. But with that said, I love the idea of what you pointed out, uh, of a Bruce Wayne who you would never, ever suspect of being Batman, who when he's not in the cowl and he's just the socialite out at these events, Seems kind of like almost like a dandy, almost seems like you know, you would never really think of him in that way. So, that when he puts on the cowl, like that's you know, first of all, that's like his true form, he really is Batman at his core, and we get to see what he really is. But I like the idea that that, that's one of the reasons that people would never think of Bruce Wayne as Batman. It takes me back to Superman, really. How, like, when when Christopher Reeve played him in the Donner movies, he played Clark so different than the way he played Superman, it added to the whole double identity. It added to why no one would ever look at Clark and go, oh, clearly he's Superman. Because you would never, (laughs) ever think of that guy as being Superman. So... Your your variation on Bruce where he's just kind of someone who you would never think of in it as being intimidating or in any way sort of a force to be reckoned with. I, I like that a lot. I like that a so lot.
1: If I can point something out, I, I just realized this this has come full circle, this friendship right here. Oh shit. Uh because do you realize the the moment when you asked me if I wanted to write for uh LRM? Yeah was it was a it was an article on Army Hammer and Joe Manganiello <laughs> hanging out. And oh, I said Oh wow, really Do you remember this? I, I said, what a crazy idea to have a Bruce Wayne that doesn't look like Batman that just took his cowl off and to have a Bruce Wayne that actually looked like a like a rich kid, you know?
0: Oh shit. So wow so so our, our entire friendship is based on this topic right here, right <clears throat> now, isn't it?
1: You said you summed it up in one word, and I said, "Hey, just uh, if if you want me to start writing for you, let me know." And you, no, seriously. And you know, this this is where this is where your your madness began, Mario. This is the <laughs> when you created the unboxing John persona.
0: Well, there you go. So, uh, I mean, I, what a wh- I can't I couldn't think of a better way to bring this all full circle. That's awesome. Now, hang on. So, I, and uh, I want to talk about. The, the, something else we were discussing earlier today was this idea that this story that you'd want to tell kind of falls in line with a pitch that I made several months ago about how it would be awesome to do a Batman movie that is almost similar in structure or the same in structure as the, as the Carl Urban Dread 3D, where it all takes place almost in real time in the course of one single day or night. And we were talking, yeah, like we're talking, we were talking like the Arkham Asylum game from Rocksteady about how if they can make a movie where it's like this is just one bad night in the life of Batman, uh, that would be fucking badass. And And I think,
1: go ahead. You know, marketing people would be all over that. It would be night with a K, one bad.
0: (laughs) Yes. Yes, they would. Yes, they would. Uh, Ian, I'm in love with that idea. I hope uh, Matt Reeves and the writer that I can't talk about because you have to go to the Splasher Board to see it. Uh, I hope they listen to this because this would be an ideal way to do it because seeing him pull himself through this mystery, trying to get himself, how did I end up here, and along the way bump into many of his most iconic rogues who happened to be in the asylum that night, uh, would be a phenomenal film. I feel like that, that would be two hours or two and a half hours that I would gladly just go to over and over again to see in the theaters if done right.
1: And you know what that brings in? That brings tension, which is something that we've unfortunately been missing. You know, you need that contrast. You need that that question of what's going to happen, even though we know, you know, he's going to win. Mm-hmm. But uh, you need him against the odds. You you, it, you know, he's going to win. But at this point, you got to find out how in the world, because as soon as Batman versus Superman started, it's the Cochise picture. You know, three amigos. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He pitches him the Cochise picture. Uh you, you meet, you fight, but by the end of the movie, you're friends. <laughs> Batman versus Superman was the Kochi's picture. You know by the end of the movie yep. it's gonna be fine. So it's like, okay, well, when are they gonna when is when is the mind control gonna wear off? When is yeah. poison ice? Whatever device, it's just gonna go away. But with, with Arkham Asylum, it's it's he's gonna get out of it by ingenuity and just being being like Clint Eastwood in a cape or whatever it is, this ponce, you know, this, this prissy guy, you put him in this, in this, in this, and it's like this beast comes up. I'm sorry. I'm just describing Batman over and over again. Yeah, just...
0: No, listen, I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, and you know what? I, Cause I, I know that you have other shit you have to do and, and we're right now we're getting dangerously close to your bedtime, Johnny boy. So what I want to do <laughs> is I want to just sort of on the spot. Point out to you something that I think you'll appreciate, and that our li- my listeners will really appreciate, which mm-hmm. is that Jeff John seemingly just sort of threw a little indirect shade at Zack Snyder, uh, and I think you'll get a kick out of this. So you know he, he's already at San Diego Comic Con. He's talking about all things DC, and we know they're going to have a big day. Um, but something that just really, really struck you know struck me is while discussing. Um, while discussing Aquaman and trying to point out what it is that makes him special, he mentioned something that, that just, it, it, to me, it was like music to my ears. So he here's the quote in its entirety, then I'll point out to you what it is that I find wonderful. So while talking about the process of creating this new Aquaman, here's what he said. Uh, you know, Jason Momoa is uh, Aquaman. He said, you know, I work with a lot of great people. But the whole thing is to craft and shape the story and tone to fit the character and celebrate the character instead of deconstruct the character. You want to celebrate the character because you have to really celebrate something and build it up to really make it into something that represents who that character truly is. And also the fact that I've written all these comic books, it gives me a lot of credibility coming into the room because it's hard to argue sometimes. People can tell me what they think Aquaman is, but I wrote the book, literally. So it helps me. Now, the part in that quote that just gives me like, mmm, it's just delicious. It's like chocolatey. I just want to bite it. Um, He says, you know, the whole thing about you have to celebrate the character instead of deconstruct The character. If you'll Mm. recall, last April or so when Warner Brothers flew no, it was last June, when Warner Brothers flew a bunch of press out to the Justice League. Uh, set visit and allowed them to to unleash their set visit reports immediately, which is a huge no-no. Typically, you have to hold those set visit reports for about six months until the first trailer drops, but they were in such damage control mode after Batman v Superman that they just had to try to create some sort of positive buzz. Um, As part of the set visits, they interviewed Deborah Snyder, they interviewed Zack Snyder, and Deborah spoke about deconstructing the characters, about how in Batman v Superman was a deconstruction of heroism and these characters and how they would like to eventually get to sort of, you know, building them back up again or some other bullshit. And hearing Johns basically say that we have to celebrate these characters instead of deconstructing them for me, felt feels like a total sort of one-to-one. Like he wanted to circle back to that ridiculous concept and say, We're not doing that anymore. That didn't work. That was nonsense. We want to celebrate these iconic figures and not break them down before you've even gotten to know them yet.
1: Yeah. We're not we're not shooting Jimmy Olsen in the head before we even learn oh, what his my, name is.
0: Yeah. You know, and I feel like you sort of alluded to this earlier uh, and you sort of trailed off. I don't know if you want to go back into it now, but this idea that like they, they they expected us to just love these characters and bring our own knowledge of them just from growing up with them so that we would care about the trials and tribulations they put them through instead of getting us to just invest in these versions of the characters before they went into this other stuff Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like they're just like oh well people grew up on batman they grew up on superman they grew up on wonder woman we don't have to waste time getting them to love them let's just get into ripping them apart and and making them looking look at them in different ways
1: we Think about, it, though, that, that Superman, uh, the Superman uh, movies from the 70s in the er- early 80s. Were they done with when whenever five came out? Yeah. Uh, and then well, Superman four, do you
0: mean four came out in 87 and there oh. wasn't a five. All right. Amateur hour. <laughs> <No>. <laughs>
1: uh, Unless you want to say
0: Superman Returns, but that's not five. It's really sort of three with a with a high f- with an asterisk. But go on.
1: So that, to that point, Superman Returns was a love letter to the Christopher Reeves films, mm-hmm. but the audience coming in fresh that was like, well, the old stuff looked cheesy. That audience, uh, which I'm not saying I'm in that audience, but they're just kind of lost on this idea of, OK, well, I feel like I'm coming in halfway through a story. It has the same problem that the Zack Snyder one did where you're starting a sentence. You're starting the last half of a sentence without the first half. The last mm-hmm. half is, but what if Superman hated himself? yeah well, well what's the first half of that sentence what did he do that he would hate himself for uh no, but nobody likes to see a superman that really doesn't want to be superman you know every every publicity shot coming out of that that early stuff in, in batman versus superman it was the same pose for every single he looks of- constipated
0: <laughs> I've always oh. said that. Henry Cavill, like, I feel like Zack Snyder was always saying, Okay, so say this line, but say it constipated. Pose for this picture, but pose for it constipated.
1: It's Wolverine teeth, it's poop teeth, you know, that that <laughs> that that cover that they always had Wolverine doing with his teeth gritted and his mouth yeah, is yeah, open.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. And spit coming out. But I mean you look at it, uh Lex Luthor and Aquaman. And Batman and Superman, well, I, I can't say this for Superman. They all had the same exact glowering with the eyebrows lowered at the camera in black and white or it might as well be black and white. It was like, you guys, we all agree Batman is awesome, but we can't all do Batman. Somebody has to be contrast here. and And I think we all agree, like on a color level, on a tone level, these movies needed some contrast that just wasn't there there wasn't anybody that was happy to live in that world it was like is this even a world worth saving
0: mm-hmm. yeah. and that's where wonder woman comes into play and for me sort of turns the whole thing around
1: you know wonder like, woman
0: they, go ahead
1: because the s means hope right oh wait no no wonder woman's the hope sorry go yeah
0: ahead. <laughs> by the way it, it it always pissed me off to no end that they speak so much about him being a symbol of hope and hope, 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 and the s yes is hope meanwhile in Man of steel there, there there's nothing that happens in there that really inspires any hope, and that if i if I'm a citizen of metropolis, I don't look at Superman and think wow i f- i'm I'm filled with hope as I'm covered in ash, <laughs> like this city falling apart on his first day on the job like there all this talk of hope, and then it just went right out the window once that third act happens. You know, where is where, do, when do we get to see a Superman that actually inspires people? You know, th- there was so much sermonizing from Kurt, uh, from Kurt Russell's Kurt Russell from Russell Crowe's Jorel. Well, uh, Kurt Russell <laughs> wouldn't have been a bad idea, but uh, Russell Crowe's Jorel talking about how you will teach the people of Earth, you'll give them an ideal to strive toward. Like, I wanted to see that ideal to strive toward, and Man of Steel. There was none of that shit because Snyder doesn't believe in that. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, I, I feel like I'm one, I'm reopening an old case. Uh, I just <laughs> want I wanted to just you know bounce that off you that the whole thing where Jeff John saying that it's time to celebrate these characters, not deconstructing you know not deconstruct them anymore. For me, is music to my ears, and I figured you'd appreciate hearing that as well.
1: Alien, you know, in the in the fanboys out there and the in the the, the the bad fanboys out there say, oh, well, Zack Snyder, Deborah Snyder, they they have the story credit on Wonder Woman. You look at the beginning of Wonder Woman and the beginning of Man of Steel. They're both to me are like the magical parts of those movies. I mm-hmm. mean, like I would have loved to see more of Krypton. We'll probably get to see a little too much when this sci fi series finally gets going. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> but but that that beginning act. Oh, so good. And then he mm-hmm. gets there. We uh, I, I said this in our text conversation before. I want to get to know Clark Kent. and that's oh, the yeah. thing that, hey, these movies. Who is Clark Kent? and what is his image of what Superman is? because, you know, for for all the crap that we give Marvel for uh, not having a good enough story, we know pretty much what every single one of those characters wants on some level. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think of the lowest level character that we have, so I mean Hawkeye,
0: <laughs> yeah, even what he wants has been made crystal clear at this point,
1: yeah, oh man, uh, but but you know superman I, I i don't I don't know. I mean if if somebody offered it, what if you just completely disappeared, Superman? I think he might go for it, you know i just, we don't know enough about that character, yeah, if, which is weird with the, the amount of time we've had with him.
0: I know. We, he, we, we've given him a whole movie, and we've given him half of Batman v. Superman to try to convince us of who he is and what he stands for, and he's still just a constipated enigma. I think that's my <laughs> new... Uh, <laughs> I think I'm going to change my Twitter handle, to constipated enigma. But listen, John, I feel like I've, ha- I've taken up enough of your time... Uh, I really enjoyed this conversation. I really enjoyed actually having a dialogue with you that wasn't just via text. And I hope to have you on again, uh, hopefully several other times in the future. Are you down for that?
1: Absolutely. This was a blast. No, never. Never.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, guys, uh, go check out the unboxing, John. uh, That's John without the H uh vlogs on YouTube. Subscribe to his page. He's got a lot of great stuff. Uh, he's even got this interesting video now that has to do with his Nintendo fandom where he got to speak to the yeah. voice of Super Mario about Shigeru Miyamoto. I mean, you hit on all these things that I'm such a fanboy for. So I hope everyone takes the time to check you out Um and just keep on doing the great work that you do,
1: John. All right? Thanks, mark Right back at you, man. I I'm, I'm glad you landed at Splash Report. I'm going to go read all your stuff now.
0: <laughs> and remember, I'm not just Splash Report. I'm IGN. I'm all over the place. I'm fucking hired gun Mr. Freelancer over here. But anyway, yeah. enough about me. Uh, John, thank you for coming on, brother man. And uh, I look forward to the next tangent conversation we have where you text me at random and we go on and on about things.
1: Unboxing John
0: so that was pretty damn fun i hope you guys enjoyed that Uh, john is a cool dude john is a cool dude and i've been telling him for a while i want to try to get him onto the show and i did and we did it we did the thing and it it worked out but okay so now i'm going to continue with uh some of the hot stories trending in these here fanboy circles as we head into San Diego Comic-Con 2017, one of the big ones that jumped out at me is, you know, there's been a lot of back and forth. People have been wondering, is that Gambit movie with Channing Tatum ever going to (laughs) happen? And uh, Tatum's been, you know, going out... uh, He he was there earlier today talking about how, yes, it's going to happen, and it's been inexorably uh, influenced or aided in a way, by Logan and Deadpool. Now, what's interesting is Gambit's been in development for several years now. It was first announced that he was going to be attached back in 2014. They were making the Gambit movie three years ago now. And then it sort of fell off Fox's schedule, and people kind of thought, all right, well, Gambit maybe is dead in the water. But what's interesting is, in the time since that announcement, Fox has done some pretty exciting shit. You know, when you think about Deadpool, when you think about Logan, and what those films meant to the superhero genre as a whole, um, it's, it's, it's no small potatoes, it's nothing to sneeze at. You know, Logan was, for me, it's one of the greatest superhero films of all time. Uh, For me, it tops anything from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, For me, it tops pretty much anything from the DC Extended Universe, as much as I love Wonder Woman. Um, And it's just, you know, it's an important film, and it's a character study, and it was rated R, and it had the balls to not really paint within the lines. It told a superhero story that was very sort of rough around the edges, very emotionally resonant and deep material. It had the balls to talk about uh, our current geopolitical sort of trajectory that we're on as a nation. The the performances were just hard-hitting and thought-provoking and phenomenal. Last year, we had Deadpool, which came out of nowhere and sort of took the world by storm by being just such a breath of fresh air, by poking fun and opening up the superhero genre, the comic book genre as we know it, to really sort of be able to sort of poke fun at it and bring something sort of new and fresh to the table while still somehow having a plot that's really not that unique. But what was interesting about it was the writing, was how truthful to the character it, it was, and how willing it was to fuck with expectations. Um, uh, so here's what, T- what Tatum has said about how the success of Logan and Deadpool and the subsequent delay of Gambit may all be something that we look back on very, very happily. So here's what he said. Um, I think we got super, super lucky. I think a lot of setbacks, we'll look at them in hindsight as giant blessings, because we were making it, and we're writing a movie right at the turn of a paradigm shift in movies. So we got lucky that we didn't just come out with ours, which I don't think was fully formed. It was a good idea. We were going in the right direction, and then we got to learn from two really beautifully different kinds of a complete paradigm shifts like logan and deadpool i mean they knocked down a lot of doors for us to be able to do things that we wanted to do in the first place um so you know that right there confirms that yes the gambit movie is still coming yes channing tatum is still attached uh, you know, because there have been some questions about that. You know, Doug Lyman walked away from it just as he would eventually walk away from Justice League Dark. So suddenly we have a movie that's not only been delayed but lost its director. So people have rightfully wondered, is this Gambit movie happening? Is this for real? Or has this thing totally just sort of, you know, fallen into some sort of development hell and it's never going to happen? So no, it looks like folks... We're getting that Gambit movie. It's going to start Channing Tatum. And they're taking their cues not from the, the greater X-Men franchise with you know apocalypse and Days of Future Past, but they're taking their cues from Deadpool. They're taking their cues from Logan. It, and to me, that communicates the desire to make a film that's very character-driven Uh, a film that's not going to try to confine itself and be sort of cookie cutter and do what every other superhero origin film has done. Um, It sounds like, you know, Fox has been willing to take some very interesting risks, take these sort of beloved characters and really sort of just, you know, do them justice, but not do what everyone else is doing. Sort of play to the beat of their own drummer, you know? Um, and if that's what Gambit's going to be, hell yeah. So, all right, folks, Gambit is coming. What else do I want to talk to you about? Well, Fox is not only working on this Gambit movie, they're also working on a film that I'm not as optimistic about. Uh, we just found out that Noah Hawley, from Legion, is now developing a film about Doctor Doom. Here's what he uh, here's what he just unleashed upon the world. Uh, Noah Hawley said, "It's worth mentioning a film that I'm developing at Fox, which you guys might be excited about. I'll just say two words. The first one is Doctor, and the second one is Doom." Um. Oh, come on, please. I I can't get it up for a Doctor Doom movie at this point. Uh, you know, we, we've already seen two versions of Doctor Doom. He's been unfortunately attached to two very sort of subpar... Uh, I should say three subpar Fantastic Four movies. I'm not sure that a movie about just him is going to do the trick here, Um, I don't know, Uh, Dr. Doom, does he really require his own film, this just makes me think about, what Sony's trying to do right now, with uh, Silver and Black, and all that shit, and the Venom movie, and all these things that are, not gonna be connected to Spider-Man, I just, like, I, uh, Dr. Doom, no thank you, um, It's funny how much this podcast is becoming about Fox properties. This may as well just be a Fox podcast this week. But uh, we're going to stay here in the Fox realm because this week there was the new Kingsman 2 trailer that came out. And uh, I will say it looks pretty damn good. Um, I was a big, big fan of the first Kingsman. I found it to be a breath of fresh air. I found it to be uh, just, I thought it was funny, I thought it was exciting, I thought it pushed the envelope, and it just felt different. It just felt different. I really liked Matthew Vaughn as a director, and I liked what he did with the property. And for me, I'm excited for Kingsman 2 for a number of reasons. Uh, One, I really enjoyed the world that was set up and introduced in the first Kingsman, But two, you know, since I follow directors rather religiously once they've won over my loyalty, uh, in the case of Matthew Vaughn, I don't know if people have really hit on this. This is the first time he's doing a sequel. He's never done a sequel to his own films. You know, when Kick-Ass 2 came out, he didn't do Kick-Ass 2. Uh, X-Men First Class he did, and then when its follow-up was ready, Days of Future Past... He ended up not doing that, and that brought Brian Singer back into the fold. In general, this is the first time Matthew Vaughn has ever felt strongly enough about a project to say, you know what, I want to I wanna do another one. I have more to say here. I have more I want to sort of uh, explore. And seeing this trailer got me excited, because once again, we got Channing Tatum in there. We got Jeff Bridges. We got the returning cast members of Mark Strong and Taryn Egerton. And for me, as someone who just binge watched uh Narcos season one and two, we got fucking Pedro Pascal in there. Man, I fucking love Pedro Pascal. Um, and not just because of Narcos. I've been following that motherfucker for years. He is so talented. I'm uh, allow me a second here to fanboy about Pedro Pascal. Uh a couple of years ago, I was watching a few different TV shows. I was watching The Good Wife on CBS, not because uh, uh, the premise really spoke to me, but because I actually happened to be on it. I was a uh, part of a core group of cast members who played the young associates on that show in the law firm that uh, Juliana Margulies's character worked for. And, uh, yeah, so I would watch every week and there was this young actor on it, you know, this young lawyer who was featured in a couple episodes. And I thought, oh, you know, he's pretty good. Then I flip the channel and I'm watching lights out and there's this like Armenian boxer who's really funky with his hair, like shaved in a weird way. And he's got a kooky accent and he's all tatted up and he's whatever. And then I realized that's the same exact person who's playing the very clean-cut, sort of straightforward, square-jawed, white bread lawyer on The Good Wife. I'm like, that's the same guy? This guy is fucking versatile. And then I saw him on Game of Thrones where he played Oberyn, who was such a magnetic, fascinating character. And I still think about that monologue that he delivers uh, in, in, in the jail cell where he says, I will be your champion. And I'm like, ooh, fucking goosebumps. So Pedro Pascal, I've seen him in a few different things. He's one of these actors who's willing to just shapeshift. He can be from anywhere. He can be a good guy. He could be a bad guy. He's just, he's got such range and such general charisma and magnetism. That seeing that he's gonna to get to do his thing here in Kingsman 2 gets me very excited. The trailer itself, I'm like, I'm just all in. I love that they have the Frank Sinatra "My Way" in there. Uh, that's one of my karaoke songs. Um, but just the premise, like I just, I'm all in. So the Kingsman 2 trailer, I was already sold on just seeing the movie to begin with, but the trailer itself got me even more excited to revisit more of this world of The Kingsman. And Matthew Vaughn, he's someone who may go on to make a film that really, really matters a lot to me. Uh, You know, there's all these rumors that he would love to make Man of Steel 2. There was this little quote that just came out where... One of the writers on uh, on Kingsman two, her name is Jane Goldman. Um, you know, they asked her about this whole Matthew Vaughn Man of Steel two connection, and you know, she said, "I know Matthew's a big Superman fan. What I like to? I don't know. I mean, I'm not sure. I think Matthew's looking at it from a directing point of view. I have no idea what's happening there." So she was sort of noncommittal, but. You know, it's clear that it's been discussed and Matthew is looking at the possibility of it and who knows how far along his discussions with Warner Brothers are. But for months now, we've been hearing that Matthew Vaughn might be the person to make the next Superman movie. Um, And, you know, while I was initially sort of against that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm all for it now. You know, he's a fan... He's a filmmaker that I I know and trust. He has made statements in the past that show me that he seems to get Superman. He seems to get what he is. So if that happens, bring it on. But one of my Twitter followers brought something to my attention that actually totally flew under my radar about another director who might be uh, very good for Superman, or at least, in the very least, he's passionate about it, And he's someone who is an up and coming filmmaker who I think would be an interesting choice. And that would be J.A. Bayona. J.A. Bayona is the man who just directed, who just completed principal photography on the sequel to uh, Jurassic World. Um, And he is someone who's come out in the past as saying that he would love to make a Superman movie. Um, you know, he's someone who was very much inspired by the original Donner films. He has stated that, you know, here's his quote. He said, uh, Superman, the movie was the film that made me want to become a director and his current, you know, on, on his Twitter profile, his banner image is that shot of Christopher Reeve bridging the gap in a broken train, uh, train track as a train rolls over him. seemingly just signaling, you know, how important Superman is and how important that movie was to him. Um, And, you know, he wants to make uh, Man of Steel 2. So he's someone who I just... I have some respect for. You know, I want to see Jurassic World 2 before I really judge, but it sounds like he's someone who... Not only loves the character and loves these sorts of um, genre films, but he seems to see the value in in telling, you know, exploring bigger ideas in them, and and using these films as sort of an allegory for for things that ail us in in our current world that we live in. You know, he has some stuff in Jurassic World too that sounds very interesting and 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 intriguing. And I want to see how he works off that balance. Is he able to make a movie that's a fun summer thrill ride that also somehow makes you think about the world around you? Uh, If that's the case, I would love to see what he does for the Superman mythology and the metaphor of what Superman means to the world at large. Um, So honestly, between J.A. Bayona and Matthew Vaughn, If either of those guys lands at the Superman gig, uh, you can count me in. (laughs) Um, And earlier when I was talking to John, I mentioned that Jeff Johns has released a few statements about Aquaman. So I'm going to share the full text of that with you. So earlier I mentioned the part where he spoke about not deconstructing these characters, but celebrating them. But then uh, he also has a quote here specifically as it relates to Arthur Curry, Aquaman, about what it is that makes him interesting. Because, you know, a lot of people, they want to make fun of Aquaman. They look at him and he's just the guy in the fucking orange and green who talks to fish and he's sort of like, ugh, you know, he he seems sort of corny and dated. Even that name Aquaman, like it just sounds kind of, you know, childish. Uh, But here's what he said. He he was asked, why is Aquaman interesting? And he says, why is Aquaman interesting? I can tell you from my perspective, emotionally why it's interesting is because his father was a human. His mother was Atlantean. And he thinks he's a half-breed and he doesn't belong in either world, the surface or the oceans or Atlantis. He kind of considers himself a man of no world. And it's not really until he's with Mira that he finds a place in life. And his brother, Orm, is full Atlantean. And it's Arthur's job, Aquaman's arc, was to bring the two worlds together. So that's uh, that's some of what he thinks makes Aquaman a fascinating character. It sounds like they're going to try to bring some interesting layers and depth to the James Wan film. Uh, And as you guys know, Jeff Johns is now basically the architect of the DC Extended Universe. So I'm sure he's looked at whatever script James Wan is working off of and is making sure that these kinds of layers are explored thoroughly and really sort of makes Aquaman a character that mainstream audiences can really sort of sink their teeth into. So, you know, bring that on, dude. Fucking bring that on. Um Something else in the DC world that I want to share with you that I found particularly interesting is right now people are wondering, did David Ayer just take a shot at DC? Uh, I'm going to read you the quote, and then I'm going to tell you what I think. Um, you know, he right now he's out making the rounds promoting that crazy-looking Netflix series, a Netflix movie, I should say, with Will Smith called Bright. And... Uh, in talking about it, he said the following. He said, This movie's about L.A., but a fucked up L.A., but our world is fucked up. This isn't some bullshit produced PG-13 shit movie. I was able to do my thing. Right off the bat, that got people thinking about Suicide Squad because that was a PG-13 movie uh, and it's a film that, it, it was his last film that he made prior to this, and it's a film that he's pretty much gotten on record as saying was a missed opportunity, that you know, there were mistakes made, and it's not really the film that he would have wanted to make, that the theatrical cut we saw wasn't really the film he set out for, and you know, he's basically acknowledged that Suicide Squad was flawed. So for him to just sort of blurt out, this isn't some bullshit produced PG-13 shit movie, I was able to do my thing, kind of seems like he's saying that Suicide Squad was a bullshit experience for him. Um, look, I really don't think he'd be dumb enough to take a public shot at, the, uh, at his DC Masters. Right now, look, he's, he's about to make Gotham City Sirens uh, with the DC people you know he's making that spin off that stars Harley Quinn, Catwoman and uh, I don't know some other broad. I really I'm not I'm not too well versed on that one, but he's about to work with the DC extended universe again. So I really highly doubt that he's out there basically throwing shade at his DC bosses. You know, he was a team player, a team player throughout this process. Even when they took the film out of his hands, even when they ordered reshoots, even when they edited six or seven alternate cuts of the movie and sort of really just completely changed what it was going to be, he was a team player through all of that. I would be shocked if all of a sudden now he decides, you know what, I'm going to crap all over this experience. I don't think so. I think he's just, you know, he's... uh, sort of a rough-around-the-edges guy. He curses. He, he's sort of, uh, you know, he's just a colorful character. I don't think he was really talking shit about DC. That would be that would be surprising to me. Um, and now, before I let you guys go, we're going to talk about this upcoming weekend at the cinema. So, right now, what's interesting is people are always quick to talk about... Oh, everything's a remake, or a reboot, or a sequel, or a prequel. There's no original cinema anymore. And, uh, well, this weekend, you're going to get a chance to see not one, but two original films new properties new things you've never had a chance to see these aren't sequels these aren't remakes these aren't reboots these are brand new original cinematic experiences and if you're someone who bitches and moans all the fucking time about a hollywood doesn't take any gambles anymore doesn't take any risks doesn't make anything that's original anymore then it's time to put up or shut up because We're going to have Dunkirk, and we're going to have Valerian, the city of a thousand planets, come out in the very same weekend. These are two brand spanking new properties. Um, And what I find interesting is how low the projections are for both of these. And it just, for me, it's like, Jesus Christ. So people always bitch and moan that they want original things, and then when they come out, they don't show up. And then you wonder why Hollywood's just cranking out sequel after sequel. So Dunkirk, which, by the way, has fucking amazing reviews. Uh, in the upper 90s, people are saying that it's, you know, just a masterpiece. And and Christopher Nolan, who's often accused of making films that are somewhat emotionless, has turned into a film that's surprisingly emotional And actually pulls off the rare feat of being an intimate film that is still epic in scope. It sounds like he's pulled off a magnificent balancing act here. And the film, which cost around $150 million to make, is currently only projected to pull in like 35 to 40 million bucks. Now, you know, the good folks at Box Office Mojo. Are saying that they think it's going to do better than that, but then again, they also thought that War for the Planet of the Apes was going to do better than it did. Um, I got to tell you right now, if if that's if that's what it comes in at, thirty five mil, forty mil, that is that's not good for a one hundred and fifty million dollar uh, epic. Um the only thing it'll have working for it is hopefully it has the legs of other Nolan features. You know, Interstellar managed to have like a four multiplier multiplier where it opened up to around uh forty something mil and still ended up in the 180 mils when it was all said and done. So hopefully it'll have the legs of Interstellar and other original IPs that that Mr. Nolan has brought us. But if Dunkirk is half the film that people say it is and it doesn't leg out that kind of money, you're only going to have yourselves to blame if Hollywood continues to kind of just be as conservative and as predictable as it is uh, known to be because Dunkirk is an expensive gamble and it's the kind of film that sounds like it, demand, it demands your attention it deserves your attention and if you're not going to give it your attention then you cannot be surprised when Hollywood just gives you an, like the 18th sequel of some other franchise uh, Valerian on the other hand look, you know, I've been talking about this for a few weeks if this thing doesn't have great reviews it's not going to do well and right now, the reviews are not good. The reviews are, have it around 69%, 70% on Rotten Tomatoes. And a film like this was going to live or die on the reviews. And it's just, oh, oh wait, it fucking sank even more. Jesus Christ, when I checked earlier tonight, it was at 69%. Now it's at 58% on Rotten to Tomatoes. tomatoes. Goodbye, Valerian. This thing is going to fucking bomb hard. Wow, 58%. I'm discovering this in real time with you guys. Uh, Right now, the the projections are something in the 20s, which, by the way, this movie cost around $200 million to make. All right? Uh, This is not a cheap movie. If it opens to something in the low 20s, or God forbid, the high teens. Holy shit, is this a flop of epic proportions? Um, and I'm telling you, with a 58 percent and with the lackluster uh, advertising that it's had, this this film is going to be woof. Ooh, this is going to be ugly to fuck, ugly to watch. Uh, oh, and by the way, I should apologize. Earlier this week when I announced that I was doing the Fanboy Friday edition of the podcast, I said I would get to discuss Valerian. But unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to see it. I was going to attend a screening on Wednesday, but logistics did not pan out in my favor. I was not able to make it to that screening. Uh, life got in the way as it as it sometimes is known to do. So I didn't get to see Valerian. I can't give you my honest take on it, but from everything I'm seeing here in terms of its tracking numbers, in terms of its reviews, in terms of its budget, we are about to watch a flop of epic proportions unfold before our eyes. It looks like Valerian is going to give King Arthur a run for its money in terms of uh, 2017 what the fuck happened um and then sort of a surprise is girls trip uh no one's anticipating it's going to make a crap ton of money or anything but girls trip which has you know a, a fairly substantial cast you got queen latifah you got jada pinkett smith um you got regina hall yeah you, know, you, you got some good names in there The reviews are so damn good for this movie so far. It's at 87%. Um, So I think it's going to play very, very well. It's going to surprise people. And it only costs like $25 bucks to make. So it's funny to think that on a weekend that's releasing the latest Christopher Nolan film, on on a weekend that's going to give us uh, Valerian from the director of Fifth Element... Uh, it might be girls' night that actually has the most successful night of you know, the, the, the most successful weekend of them all. And now, while we're on the subject of reviews and projections, earlier this week I got into it with some of you on the Twitter about Rotten Tomatoes and how it works and how it can still be used as a constructive tool in choosing your film-going experiences. So, listen, I know that everyone has conspiracy theories and they say critics have their biases and listen, say whatever the hell you want. I use Rotten Tomatoes rather religiously as part of my uh, process for deciding what the hell to get out of the house to go watch. So let me sort of walk you through how I use it and let me just tell you now... I've been doing what I'm about to describe for you for about, I don't know, close to 10 years. And it really hasn't steered me wrong. Uh, based on this equation or this process I'm about to explain for you, I've had pretty much, a, uh, a, I would say, a perfect experience with this process. So here we go. Step one, uh, your own internal Hype for a film. So when you see the trailers, when you hear about the film being announced, The first thing is determining how you feel about it, right? Is this something that speaks to you? Is it something you're excited about? Is it something you're interested in, right? So that's what I do. When I see a trailer or I hear the announcement of a film and it has a director I care about with a track record I trust, it has actors in it that I appreciate, it has writers in it that have maybe created works that I'm interested in, boom, that's step one, okay? Okay. I decide right off the bat, I make that snap judgment, okay, that is on my radar. Now, here's where Rotten Tomatoes comes into play, okay? Depending on where it lands on the tomato meter, I will then decide whether or not to see it. So here's where the the scores sort of break down. Anything that is 70 and up and is a film that I was very interested in seeing, I'm going to see anything that's 40% and below even if it was a film that i was very interested in i'm now going to pass the fuck out of where things get interesting is in the 40 to 60%. cuz anything in the 40 to 60% which covers you know the 50s obviously means that it's basically a 50-50 proposition. More or less half the people who saw it liked it Half the people who saw it didn't like it, so it's really about, is this your kind of movie? It's a take-it-or-leave-it proposition, and that's a mistake that a lot of people make. They see the, something in the 50s that has that little green icon next to it. It's considered, quote-unquote, rotten as deciding, okay, I'm not going to see that movie now, but that's the thing you shouldn't look at it that way. It's really, it's a hit or miss proposition. It really comes down to you. So it's more of the flip of a coin. So in that particular instance, if it's a film that I was really, really interested in, if I see something around 50, I'm still probably going to go check it out because that does not mean avoid this film. Um, now if it's a film that I'm only sort of interested on, in, sort of interested in, I'm only going to see it if it's 85 and up. If it's 85 and up, and I was sort of on the fence about checking it out, that high ranking is going to push me into the, okay, I'm still gonna see it. If I was only sort of into it and it's in the 70s or anything below 70, Fuck that fucking movie. It is no longer on my radar whatsoever. If it's a film that I had zero interest in interest in throughout its entire life cycle, but it has a 100% of Rotten Tomatoes, I still ain't gonna fucking see it. I'm sorry. I'm glad you guys liked it. That's not my kind of movie. Um... So that right there, sort of the nuts and bolts. I don't use Metacritic; I use Rotten Tomatoes, and it really doesn't steer me wrong. Uh, so that's sort of how I break it down. That is my sort of equation. Uh, so if we were to sort of apply that to this weekend's releases, right? Let, uh, let's just this, this is sort of a perfect way to use it, right? Dunkirk was always on my list. I was interested. I'm in, I'm intrigued by the trailers. I'm intrigued by the real-life history of it all. I'm intrigued by having fucking Christopher Nolan involved. Uh, So seeing a 94%, I'm like, I absolutely have to go see that. Valerian, I was much more on the sort of, uh, maybe I'm interested in it, maybe I'm not. I don't know how I feel about Valerian. I see that 58%. Nope. No, thank you. Girl's Trip, Has an 87%. What a great score. I don't give a fuck about Girl's Trip. I'm not going to see it. Landline? Never heard of it. So 64% on a film I never heard of. uh, Not going to see it. Uh, The other one opening, it's on Rotten Tomatoes in the opening category for this weekend, is The Fencer. Looks like it's a foreign film. Again, never heard of it, it's 88%, good for them, not going to see it. Um, and that's sort of it, in a nutshell, all right? Uh, you, can, you can refute me, you can say that I, I shouldn't be going by Rotten Tomatoes at all, because it's this, because it's that, but I'm telling you right now, I'm someone who I, I, my time is very valuable to me, especially in the last six years where I became a father Uh, and I became a husband, you know, I can't just risk going to the theaters to watch something that might be shitty. I need to have a system in place so that when I go to the theaters, it's going to be an experience that I enjoy, that I get something out of. And I use this system and I never, fuck. it never fails me. You want to know one time I made an exception? It was for my wife's sake. She wanted to see a movie that was like, it was on, it was one of those where it was on my list, but the Rotten Tomato score was awful. It was the 2012 film, The Devil Inside. At the time, we, she and I were on a, uh, on a big kick for these sort of found footage films. We were big on the paranormal activity, uh, one and two. We were like, all right, cool. Let's check this out. So Devil Inside was suddenly released, and she was all about it. I had initially been about it based on a trailer I saw, but then, motherfucker, it has a 6% on Rotten Tomatoes. So I told my wife, I said, Chris, listen, I know that we're into the found footage thing, or we're into the horror thing, but this movie's going to suck, so I'd rather not see it. And then, you know, she's my wife, and she really pushed. She said, You've picked the last 10 movies. I really want to see this. And I budged and I said, And I caved and I went to go see it. And it was fucking horrendous. And even she agreed afterward, like, Oh, that was really bad. And I'm like, Okay, never doubt me again. <laughs> So, um, you know, that was like the one time I've ever broken my little equation, broken my system, and it, it lived up to uh, what I thought it would be. It was awful. Um, so listen, different strokes for different folks and all that. But if you try to apply my equation, which I'm planning on making a YouTube video out of, uh, I hopefully it'll be as good to you as it was to me. Um, and that's it folks. Uh, I think that brings us to the conclusion of episode number 23. Uh, I've still currently got a sterling five star report on iTunes. Uh, I would love to get more reviews from you all. I'd love to know what you think of the show. Um, so please take the chance to rate and review. You can go like on Facebook. Uh, I have the fan page MFR L Fanboy. If you go there and like that, that'd be awesome. Um, and that's it guys. Uh, remember this is just the first sort of uh, part of what's going to be a reach around, <laughs> a wrap around L fanboy experience for San Diego Comic-Con. Uh, I've got this today, and then you're going to hear me again on Monday as we talk about this weekend's big revelations. Thanks for taking the time. Thanks again to Mr. Unboxing John for taking the time to come on with me today. And do not forget to check out the thesplashreport.com to find out who we believe is writing the Batman. Thank you, Kelvin, for doing the digging and finding out who that is. Until next time... Adiós.